you guys for coming to RF tonight. Um, I'm going to pray for us because tonight's, uh, if you've been around, you know that tonight's not a normal night. Um, we're in a season of um, just suffering and pain. Um, and so I want to pray for us. And then what I want to do tonight is look at where Jesus meets us in those places of tragedy and those places of pain and suffering. But I'm going to pray first because I just, I don't know how I'm going to be tonight and I don't know how you're going to be tonight, but I'm going to ask the Lord's help and then get into it. So let's pray first. Lord, I thank you that you are the one who is near to the brokenhearted, that you are the one who comes alongside of us and, and doesn't just empathize and move toward us in our places of loneliness in our places of um, deep and unspeakable pain, in our places of, Lord, I don't have words other than suffering, where life, we feel, don't just feel that life isn't as it should be, but that we experience the loss of someone that reminds us that life is not as it should be and that in a, in a major way that we are not and our friends are not, um, how they should be that we are broken and this world is broken and lord we need my prayer tonight for myself and for my friends is that you would show us um, in beautiful powerful ways that you are the god of the brokenhearted that you are the man of sorrows that identifies and entered into our pains and sorrows that your suffering and your wounds speak to our suffering and our wounds and that you are near to us. Lord, I, I confess some of us are, don't feel that. Some of us are numb to that. Some of us in our anger or sadness or just numbness feel distant from that. And yet, Lord, I praise you and thank you that our feelings are not reality. And that you are so gracious as to not just receive and be patient, but you welcome us. In these places, you welcome our anger, you welcome our sadness, you welcome our numbness, and that you are the one who pursues us. I thank you, O Lord, tonight that it is because you love us that we are saved. It is because you move toward us that we have hope. It is because you lived and died and rose again that we can cling to any anchor of hope in this world. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look tonight, at your word, and as we see you, Lord Jesus, moving toward your friends um, and who had lost a brother, that you would meet us in this place and be with us. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. What I want to do is look at John 11, <clears throat> verses 17 to 37. If you've been around RUF for very long, you've heard me probably preach on John 11 a couple of times. I want to do something a little different tonight. <laughs> And I really, the story is Lazarus, Jesus had really three uh, really close friends in his life. Um, and he had more than that, his disciples, obviously, and, and beyond, and his family. But he had these three friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the context of this passage is Lazarus has suddenly died. We don't know how Lazarus died. We don't know what happened. But we just know that he suddenly, tragically, at a young, pretty young age, um, died. And Mary and Martha, are, they've, word has gotten to Jesus, and they are waiting. They are waiting and waiting and waiting. Jesus knew even that Lazarus was sick and was heading toward death, and that word, he knew all of this, and we're in this passage, and they are waiting on Jesus to show up. 
And Jesus shows up too late. He shows up basically four days after the funeral has happened. Lazarus is already in the tomb by the time Jesus shows up. And what I want to do is just look at, because the question, if you're like me, I don't know where you are. I don't know how much you know or don't know. If you don't really know what has happened in the last week, I'm just going to ask you to find a friend that you are here with, and maybe they can explain it to you. I don't want to get into it right now up here. But basically, if you're like me, the question that you're asking is, where is Jesus in all of this? Where, where is the Lord in these places in our lives that are devastating and that we can't seem to find any reason or explanation that's satisfying? And we carry our own regrets and we carry our own guilt. Where is, where is Jesus in that? And what I want to do is just look at how Jesus meets both of these sisters in different ways. And, and I hope, my hope for myself, honestly, this text has been ministering to me, is my hope for you, that you would see this is the way that Jesus meets us in this place tonight. And my hope is as we see the way that Jesus meets us in, the, in these places of pain and suffering, that we would begin or continue to meet each other in this way. But let me read John 11. I'm going to do 17 to 37. So Lazarus has died and Jesus finally shows up. Here's what John writes. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I'm going to pray for us again. I want to dive into this text a little bit together tonight. Let's pray first. Lord, again, we ask that you would meet us in this place, that you would show us who you are to us, both as the man of sorrows and as the wonderful counselor. Would you please meet us? 
whether we come like Martha and are struggling in our anger and struggling with lies, would you meet us with truth? Or whether we find ourselves more like Mary and maybe we are heartbroken and devastatingly sad and find ourselves weeping all the time, would you meet us with your tears? Lord, we need you, and we ask that you, by your Spirit, would give yourself in abundance to us. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Uh, we talk all the time in RUF about Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling is, I say all the time, it feels like all the time. Ryan Gosling is my, my man crush of an actor, and we talk about The Notebook a lot. But one of my favorite, probably my very favorite, Ryan Gosling films is called Lars and the Real Girl. It's after The Notebook, 2007. It's a weird, there's no way to describe the weirdness of the film. If you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Ryan Gosling basically plays this really troubled soul who is longing. He's in this small town, I think in Minnesota, and his family's kind of around him. This small community knows who he is. He's grown up there. But his whole life he's been longing for love, romantic love, to be loved, to be known. And so he finds through work... Uh, this basically website where he can order, this is the part that gets weird, where he can order essentially this um, doll, that's like a sex doll. I'm just going to throw that out there. And so he orders the doll, but he orders the doll not to do the sex stuff. He orders the doll just to have basically a girlfriend. And so he, he dresses her and he carries her around in a wheelchair as if she was his girlfriend. And the, fan, the town and the, the friends around are trying to figure out what, like, how do we respond to this? Like, do we tell him he's crazy? Do we kind of play along with it and love him through this? And a counselor in town basically says, you know, he's, he's doing something here that's important. Just play along. So they all do. Well, finally, as the town, it's a beautiful film about how loving someone and and loving someone through tragedy and through their own heartaches and pains. And finally, though, he decides in this moment that his he kind of goes out and swims with this. um, Her name is Bianca with his girlfriend, Bianca, and Bianca drowns as they're swimming at the lake. And so the town decides again, what do we do? Do we do we do a funeral? And so they decide we're gonna we're still gonna love him and, and meet him in this, and they do a funeral for Bianca. I'm telling you, I can't do it justice how weird the film is. You are feeling it right now. But there's a scene that I love at the funeral where they're sitting afterwards, and these sweet ladies from the church come over and they bring these casseroles, and there's this line, it's almost a throwaway line that I think is the line of the film, where they say, you know, the family says, Thank you so much for coming. And they say, this is what you do when tragedy strikes. You bring casseroles and you sit. And I think why I love that is I think you, if you're like me, we really struggle to do that as Christians. Now, I want to say, like, um, I want to thank you guys for doing that so well. I, I want to say at the beginning that I do think one of the things that's encouraged my heart so much this week has seen you guys just being able to sit with each other in pain and just listen. Because I think that is a gift of the Spirit. I think our temptation in the flesh, our temptation apart from Jesus, is to move too quickly to pretending like we're okay. And so we have a really hard time just sitting in our sadness. We have a really hard time just sitting with each other and not saying anything. Because you know, if you've experienced this week, you know how awkward it is. On Wednesday, we experienced that. Those of you who came to my house... It is so awkward just to sit because what and not say anything 
Because we want to have the words, right? We want to have the words that are going to bring comfort. We want to have the words that are going to make everything okay, and we don't. And sitting in silence and sitting in suffering and sitting in pain is sometimes the most beautiful thing to do because, y'all, life is hard and we don't have all the answers. The main thing I want to try to go at from this text is to say that the way that Jesus shows up, the first thing that I think Jesus really recognizes and invites us into is that acknowledgement. That it's okay to not be okay. That I think it's the wrong move to move too quickly into what God is doing. Or to move too quickly in how it's going to be okay. We can say we believe that the Lord is alive and he is real and he is at work in our lives and we're going to be okay. But there are seasons in the Christian life where we're not okay. And this is where I think Jesus meets Martha and Mary. They are not okay. And what I want you to see is he does two different things with each of them. Because basically the question is, what does it look like? The question I've been asking myself is, what does it look like for Jesus to sit with us, to meet us in our places of pain and suffering? And I think there are just two things that I want you to see in the way that he does this in this text. The first one, I've already prayed it. The first thing that he does is he comes with truth. He meets Martha with the truth that she needs to hear. Now, let me unpack this, because I think this is different than the way that you and I normally think of that. But let me get into it first. Look at verse 21. She asks that question. This is the question of any, any place in your life, whether, whether this week is that for you or whether it's something else in your life. This is the question that we ask that is the right question. When verse 21, where Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I imagine Martha saying this angrily. I imagine her saying, Jesus, where have you been? Like you knew word had gotten to you that Lazarus was sick and on his deathbed and you show up four days late. Like what? What are you what are you doing? Do you care about us? Do you love us? I thought you loved us. If you had been here, you literally could have stopped my brother from dying, is what she's saying, I think, in that question. And that's true. Jesus, if he had shown up, could have stopped this whole thing from happening. But he didn't. And the question we're left with is why? The question Martha is asking is, Lord, why? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let it be this way? And, you know, I think, if, I think our temptation, and this is really fresh to me this week, I think our temptation is to look for easy answers. I think sometimes we like to think, well, God, let this happen so that that could happen. And then we try to kind of find the silver lining of suffering, right? We kind of think, well, because that happened, well, then maybe this is going to happen. Or if this hadn't happened, then that would never have happened. And we sort of try to comfort ourselves with what God is doing at present. And can I just say to you, we don't know. Like, can I just recommend the book of Job to us when Job finally has his meeting with God? He's got all these questions. And, And remember, in the book of Job, a huge part of the book is all these counselors coming around Job and saying, like, this is why it happened and that's why it happened. Have you considered this? Have you repented of that? And God shows up at the end when Job has his meeting and he rebukes Job's counselors because they were they were false counselors. And what God ends up saying is, Job, I can't even even if I tried. I couldn't explain this to you. I was just, I spent the day yesterday with a friend um, in Rock Hill. He's a RF campus minister at Davidson. His name's Sid Druin. And he's going through his own season of suffering. He found out this summer he's got the rarest form of ocular cancer that you can have. 
there's like less, it's like a 0.1% chance that you could get this form of cancer. It is so rare. And he got it this summer, and they did the surgery where they did radiation on his eye, and he's still got that. They, they're trying to get control of it. He's been able to keep his eye so far and keep his vision so far, but he's in the season of asking those questions. He's got a wife and kids, and he's got cancer, and he's like, at some point in this, in this whole thing, I might die. The chances of me dying are pretty high. So I was meeting with him, and we were talking about this question, when we want to ask why. And he had this beautiful illustration, as he said, basically, when you think about, as a father, you think about your little kids, and when they're asking those big questions, and then when they ask one of those questions that you know, is a, it's a right question. But in their little minds, they could never fully understand, even if you tried to give them the answer, they could never grasp it. And he said, Sammy, that's been a comfort to me. Because I think part of the way this whole thing works is if God could tell us, if he could explain it, I think he would. His father's heart towards he would love to explain it to us. But there are places and, and there are places in our lives where he just can't. And we want answers and we want reasons. And I want you to see that Jesus doesn't do that here. He doesn't come. He doesn't show up and say, all right, Martha, here's what I'm doing. Let me show you what I'm doing. That's not what he does. And, and neither does he give her this powerful lecture. This is, I think, our other, if you grew up in Reformed Christianity, this is your temptation, this is my temptation, is we want to give a lecture on the sovereignty of God, or we want to give a lecture on something, some doctrine that's going to make our suffering neat and tidy and put a bow on it. And I want you to see that Jesus doesn't give her a lecture. He doesn't say, Martha, let me remind you. In fact, did you notice that she says, when he says, your brother, I will, he will rise again. And she thinks in her head, ah, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, that's something that they deeply believed in. And do you notice what Jesus does? He says, no. That's not what I mean. I'm not here to give you a lecture. I'm not here to explain it. I'm here to do something really different, which is really what you and I need. I'm here to give you myself. Which is why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the, the only, there's no, there aren't any easy answers And I don't even want you to look to some neat and tidy doctrine that's going to make sense of everything for you. No, what I'm here to do is to give you myself and the the promises of what it means to belong to me. I've been reading this book the last week. Um, If you were at Fall Conference, Tim Udodge mentioned it uh, by Kate Bowler. She's a professor at Duke Divinity. And it's it's my favorite title, I think, of any book that I've ever read. The title of the book is called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lives I've Loved. And she's talking about she gets cancer uh, as her life is going great. She's a professor at Duke, which is a huge accomplishment. She publishes this book. It's really well received. And then she gets cancer, and she's trying to process. It's basically a memoir of her trying to process the pain and the confusion of getting cancer and thinking about leaving her husband and her kids behind. She has this moment where she shows up at her old church at Christmas, her hometown church, and she's around. she is around her old Sunday school teacher, Carol, And I'm just going to read. It's in your handout. Here's what she writes. She says, A couple of Christmases ago, I saw Carol over one of the pews, and I reached out to give her a hug, remembering only at the last second that she had recently been diagnosed with cancer. And I couldn't figure out what to say when we pulled away. And I found I was just staring into her smiling face, stammering something about how sorry I was. And she looked back at me with such calm and said something I had never heard anyone say. I have known Christ in so many good times, she said sincerely and directly. And now I will know him better in his sufferings. 
Carol surely wanted healing and more years with her husband and an escape from the creeping death that is multiplying cells and the fading powers of chemotherapy drugs. And yet she prayed for more than to be saved. She prayed in the long night of Advent that her waiting would end with a better angle, a vision, on the baby born to die. Jesus comes with truth. But what I want you to see is that truth is not a set of cliches, like the thoughts and prayers that we do because we don't know what else to say. And it's not a set of doctrine that explains everything for us. That part of what Jesus is doing here is saying truth is a person who comes with promises. That the promises that he is, he is reminding Martha of, and he says, do you believe this, is the promise of what it means to belong to Jesus. That Jesus really did live and die for you and rose again. And the promise there is that even in death, you will not taste death because Jesus tasted death for you. That there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Even the most horrible kind of death. This has been, I shared this um, Sunday night with some of our leadership students, that I think, when I think about Nick and what happened, um, there's been a lot of confusion for me. There's been a lot of pain for me. There's been a lot of regret for me. There's been a lot of not knowing how to process it. And I remember what I do when I'm really sad or I'm really struggling is I take a bath. I don't know if you relate to this or not. A bath is like my only place where I go, and I really feel like it's where the Lord meets me. And I'm in the bath, and I'm thinking about things And the one thing that's been an anchor of hope for me is what Jesus is saying in this text. And I want to offer it to you. I really believe that Nick Veronesi got a glimpse of the love of Jesus through RUF. And I think he he didn't get the fullness of it. And I think he really struggled and wanted the fullness of it, like we all do. And the thought that I have is I really do believe that he came to get a glimpse and trust in that love of Jesus that he's talking about to Martha in this text. And the only hope that I have is to trust Jesus at his word here. That he has the fullness, that Nick has the fullness of that love now. That the love that he got a glimpse of, he has in fullness. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you belong to him, no choice, no sin, nothing, no, no, nothing in your life can separate you from the love that Jesus is promising that he is reminding Martha of here. And so I can't pretend to tell you why. But I can tell you I trust the promises of Jesus toward Nick. And I trust the promises of Jesus toward us. So first he comes with truth, but then he comes with more than that. He comes with tears. Uh, Look at verses 28 to 37. It's interesting. Verse 32. Notice Mary says the exact same thing her sister Martha does. Do you see that? She says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think knowing what we know about Martha and Mary, you know, Martha is the doer. If you remember the story where Jesus is at their house in Bethany with Lazarus and Martha can't quit. This is so my wife, like she is such a doer where she just has to be doing something that feels helpful, that seems helpful. And Jesus meets her in that place and says, let me show you what I do. 
Let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you the promises of what I have promised to be doing and am doing and will do. And with Mary, I think she's the feeler. Mary is the one who probably says that same line, but she says it with overwhelming sadness. Maybe she says it through broken sobs, but she has the same question. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. So how does Jesus meet her? And this is, again, where I think Jesus is showing us that he is the wonderful counselor. John 11 is the text. When we say in Isaiah that one of Jesus' names is not just man of sorrows, which is particularly sweet and comforting to me right now, but that Jesus is also the wonderful counselor, which means he knows exactly what we need. He knew exactly what Martha needed, and he knows exactly what Mary needed. And he doesn't come to do too much talking. He doesn't come to do too much lecturing. And he doesn't come, because I think this is sometimes what we think, he doesn't come with accusations. That he actually, it's not even a question they're asking, it's a statement, and it's a kind of accusation saying, Lord, do you care for us? It's the lament psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 88, Psalm 42, that are painful psalms because the psalmists start in a place of, of suffering and they say, Lord, where are you? Lord, are you asleep? Or do you care for me? And that's what they're saying. But I want you to see that Jesus bears those accusations. He bears them patiently. He bears them lovingly. And he's not mad at them. He meets, he meets us in them. And then I think he gives us the most powerful verse in all of Scripture in verse 35 where it simply says that Jesus wept. Why was Jesus crying? Why does Jesus still cry? Do you have a Jesus that weeps with you? Jesus here is weeping at how broken the world is. Jesus is weeping at his hatred over death, which is an enemy of God. It's not how life is supposed to be. Jesus weeps for his friends whose hearts are broken and their lives and their dreams are devastated. Jesus weeps for a life that ended too soon. Jesus weeps because life is not as it should be. Jesus weeps over the sickness that takes and robs life. Jesus wept and he weeps still. There's a scene, I'll close with this, that I love out of Narnia. It's uh, in Magician's Nephew. If you remember that book, it's where Diggory, the little boy in that story, his mom is dying. She's in her deathbed. And the whole book, he just wants Aslan to show up. He is just asking Aslan to come and to stop his mom from dying. And here's how Lewis writes it. They're, they're at, so finally Aslan comes and they're at Diggory's mother's deathbed. And here's how the conversation goes. Diggory says, please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he'd been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws in them. And now in his despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own. And wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. And you know, this is the line that's been a huge comfort to me. And then Aslan said, My son, my son, I know. Grief is great. Let us be good to one another. The last time I had coffee with Nick, we were at Drippin, Maine. 
I shared this with leadership Sunday night. We're at Coffee Inn, uh, having coffee at Drip Inn, Maine, and we were talking about the times in his life that were really hard. Maybe some of you experienced some of the times where he just was really struggling and, and would get really, um, just would really struggle. And I was asking him, hey, how can I help, help you in that? How can I meet you in that? How can I minister to you in that? And he didn't really have an answer. And then I went and put the coffee away and came back. And he said, I thought of something. He said, next time I'm really struggling, will you just hug me? And I didn't get to. But I really believe that Jesus is. And that our hope that Jesus is saying in John 11 is the hope of the embrace of the love of Jesus that meets us in this place. And if we belong to him, brings us all the way home into that embrace that is our only comfort, is our only hope, that he meets us with truth, but he also meets us with tears. And that embrace is real right now for Nick. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, would you, like Martha, help us in our unbelief? I confess that's been a real struggle for me this week. And would you help us to believe what you've promised us, who you are for us? But Lord, at the same time, would you meet us in the places where we are, um, we are angry and we are sad and we don't know what to do? And would you meet us through the love of one another? But would you also remind us that this is who you are to us, that you are a God who weeps with your children at the brokenness of the world? And that you embrace us and you've come all the way down into the darkness and into the brokenness to embrace us and bring us home. So Lord, I ask this and I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand and sing the doxology with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son.